Hey guys, welcome back to the Book Club Podcast, where each month we read a uh, contemporary or classic sci-fi or fantasy book. We talk about it and see what we can learn from it. My name is David. My name is Laura. At some point we'll have a consistent introduction, but today is not that day, <laughs> folks. Yeah, you're just kind of doing like the AFA intro, but a little bit different. Well, it's because we, we do it infrequently enough that my brain doesn't have like muscle memory and I have right. to try and remember what it's supposed to sound like. <laughs> um... Not my most professional moment. I apologize. Um, so it's December, and we again are a bit late on this because we were a bit late last month. But I, I, I forced myself to read this book, um, and I'll talk a bit about why it was so difficult as we get into it. But I forced myself to read it, and I got through it um, in in like half a month. Um, it nearly killed me. Um, <laughs> I, I lost. I lost a part of myself <laughs> along the way. Um, but I got it done because we're going to talk about Dune by Frank Herbert. Um, and before we get into like the summary and all that stuff, um, what did you think of it? Had you read it before? Give me the give me the goss. Give me the lowdown. Yeah, so I read it before once about say like a year or maybe less than a year ago. So it's still pretty fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I I I kind of enjoy it. Um, it's obviously not the type of reading that i go for normally yeah i don't um, think anyone normally like it's it's not well, anyone's like i don't know yeah it's so weird i don't know yeah but um i think it's a very cleverly put together book it's very smart. um yeah the first time i read it i liked the first part better than the the palace stuff yeah yeah better than like the, the stuff, stuff in the desert yeah this time, I'm kind of indifferent to, like... Yeah, they're both... Like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it... Yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's also hard, like, I guess... Because one of the things... This, this book for me, like, I know when it was written, I know that it was kind of... We were talking about just before we hit record that um, one of the films that we looked at recently, um, last week's Offer Artist, was t- um, the, this, the film based on T. Lawrence's... Um, autobiography of his life, uh, which was Lawrence of Arabia. And there's a lot of parallels with this. And one of the things about this story that made me a little bit um, uncomfortable and anxious, just like in general, as I read it, was like, it has a lot of those weird appropriation things happening that were popular in that time, where like, you know, they have like the Messiah, but then also like this, um, but it's this kind of Persian analog that's really not fleshed out at all. And sometimes comes across as racist but at the same time it's a commentary on people doing that so they kind of give themselves a free pass and we'll get into that but i i genuinely struggle to read this yeah so what i did to start with is i was i read like the first 200 pages diligently mm-hmm. like i was like i'm gonna do this amount of day and i got through <laughs> it like it was like homework right and then i went i can't fucking do this and i and i i i, I succumbed to the audiobook uh-huh made it much easier because of the names like i think i needed to hear someone repeatedly say the names and stuff a lot um even though the main character is called paul but i mean like, the names aren't that hard um, it's a bit like harry potter though if you've never read harry potter before like you think it's hermione not hermione because it's how it's like it, it kind of had that problem for me right every time i read it i wanted so, to so pronounce which it names did you struggle with um i have a list um i mean bene gesserit i struggled with because i thought it was Benny and then when the guy in the audiobook called him Gesserit, I was like, what the fuck? But, like, a lot of the people names I was fine with. It was everything else that, that made me kind of, made my brain hurt. Like, Mentat, Thufir, Hawat, like, stuff like that, which, yeah, I get that they're, like, leaning on different roots of different languages, but, like, yeah, I just couldn't. After a while, I was like, I just need to hear someone read it to me, which helped. Yeah, it didn't bother me in the way that, um, in the way that a lot of fantasy-type novels often bother me mm-hmm. a classic example of this is aragon uh, the names in aragon are a pain uh, in the ass because everything's like a um, and then so else. you read the whole Kill book me. of aragon and then you go into the back mm-hmm. and it's like this is how you should be pronouncing it and you go that's not how i've been doing it it's fucking dumb make better names you should make names so people read them and they go i get it unless yeah. it's for a purpose but, i mean for, for this like um i i found the they're close enough to sort of um, a lot of them were similar names enough. that I understand that it didn't really bother I mean, me. Main dude be called Paul. Like, come on, gang. Yeah, but, but even like Muad'Dib, I can do that. Actually, that's a good point. I mean, I'll, I'll talk about it a bit later. But it 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 reminded me a lot of the Painted Man by um, Peter V. Brett. I had to check the book to to confirm that <laughs> Peter V. Brett because you're gonna draw a lot of inspiration from this kind of storytelling. But um, before I get like into the summary properly, um, 
don't know. How would you describe this book to people? Because I've been struggling with that. Oh, geez. Because it's hard to pitch. Like, like, do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not really like a big sci-fi adventure. But it's also not so like a spaghetti. It's not even like a spaghetti western. Yeah, it's there's elements of intrigue, but even that kind of doesn't just, flow through the whole book. It's kind of just like it starts as like a family drama like and then like it becomes like a political drama and then it becomes a family drama and then a political drama it's like a really yeah. high strong version of neighbors or something i don't know <laughs> like yeah. it's got i don't know i don't know how to like the, talk yeah about it. It, it's, and like things happen and yeah i don't we'll get into it but, yeah uh, it's just a it's, it's something to think about as we go through the episode is if you have an answer by the end i'd love to hear it um yeah so dune is a 1965 sci-fi novel by frank herbert and tied with this immortal for the hugo award in 1966 and won the inaugural nubella award for best novel nebula award fuck i can't read (laughs) i've been having a really long week gang um Uh, it's technically the world's the rest of us it's only it's only tuesday when we're recording this um Mm. it's technically the world's best sci-fi selling novel of all time crazy technically it's Te- not why is it technically because they sold the most units but it's not the most sell because okay so they cheated because originally it came out in two books that were published in magazines oh, so they doubled up for a long time okay like it doesn't really rival some of the stuff that um a few other people have done but it's still pretty impressive i think that is pretty impressive like it's yeah. it's like one of those sci-fi novels that everyone kind of knows the name of it's mm. like you say june they go oh it's it's that a book that thing. everyone pretends they've read Exactly. Yeah, it's one which we're trying Unless to cover. Unless you're like this, us, in which case we actually read you it. You decide to read it for some reason. <laughs> That's a lot of the books on this podcast, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Here we go. Summary. It's gonna be. It's kind of a kind of an interesting one. I'm gonna mispronounce some names. Strap in. It's gonna be a really long one, huh? It's pretty long. Yeah, it's pretty fucking long. So, in the far future, humanity has given up on computers, instead using a spice named Melange to give them the ability to. Pro- Is that how you say it, Melange? I don't know. I Melange. I've I've been pronouncing it like French, like melange. But melange oh. is good. Okay. Um, in the far future, humanity has given up on computers, instead using a spice named melange to give them the ability to process super complex tasks in their own minds. The spice is only found on Arrakis, a desert planet where big ass sandworms are the dominant form of life. Melange also pro- provides periodic precognition, extended health, and life, and as a result, becomes a universally accepted and sought-after currency. Melange also allows the Space and Guild's navigators to safely route faster-than-light travel between planets and helps the Reverend Mothers of the matriarchal Bene Gesserit to access their other memory, the ego and experiences of their female ancestors. When we join the story, each planet is owned by a great house that swears allegiance to the Empire. In order to remove a competitor in Duke Leto, the Emperor assigns House Atreides to Arrakis, where House Harkonnen rules. Two houses with a deep, long feud. That's the key element to take away from there. They fucking hate each other. The Emperor secretly plans to attack Baron Vladimir of Harkonnen in order to pin the act on Leto. Leto immediately realizes the invitation to Arrakis is a trap, but with his trusted advisors Duncan Idaho the Swordsman, Mentat Thurfir Hawat, Suck Dr. Wellington Ewer, and Gurney Hald- Halleck, prepare for every eventuality. I apologize for those names. Meanwhile, seemingly unrelated, Reverend Mother Mo- Mohiam... <laughs> accuses Leto's concubine, um, the, Bene, the Bene Gesserit Lady Jessica, of defying their secret centuries-long breeding program, which aimed to produce a male Bene Gesserit they call... Fucking Jesus. I, again. Kwisatz who would have oracular powers to see through time and space. Jessica had been ordered to produce a daughter to continue the program, but out of love for Leto, she had given him a son, Paul Atreides. Jessica has since trained Paul in the Bennett Gesserit way, and Mohiam is reluctantly impressed by the boy's abilities nonetheless. Despite Leto's caution, House Atreides takes over Arrakis, dealing with the constant traps left in the palace by the Harkonnens. As Leto and Duncan befriend the local freemen, House Harkonnen launches their attack, butchering House Atreides. Yue reveals he was forced to turn on Atreides. Duncan is killed, and UA, fas- and UA facilitates Paul and Jessica to escape. UA, UA replaces one of Leto's te- teeth with a poison capsule, hoping that Leto might have the opportunity to kill the Baron during their encounter, but of course it fails. Instead, Leto kills himself and Petra de Vries. The Baron forces Hawat to take over de Vries' position. While he follows the Baron's orders, Hawat secretly works out how to undermine the Harkonians at every turn, still working for his own side. 
Paul and Jessica flee into the desert, finding acceptance in the Freeman community of Sikhtabar. Paul, pr- Paul proves his manhood and takes a Freeman lover, Chani, bearing her a son. Jessica becomes a reverend mother, inadvertently infusing her unborn child, Aaliyah, with the same power she's aiming to acquire. Two years pass, and Paul's precognition leads the Freeman to begin treating him as the Messiah, or the Mahdi. However, Paul is worried that the Freeman's war against aliens could quickly spiral out of control. In light of Freeman raids slowing spice production, the Baron makes some radical changes to his advisory, allowing Hautat to sow the seeds of doubt in the Baron's mind about the Emperor's true plans. Gurney finally finds Jessica and Paul, but believing Jessica was the traitor, he attempts to kill her. Paul intervenes, but confesses he didn't foresee the attack coming. Despite knowing it's fatal to men, Paul seeks to increase his precognition ability, drinking the waters of life. After spending several weeks in a coma, Paul wakes with clairvoyance across time and space. He is the actual messiah now. He senses fleets gathering around Arrakis to cleanse the Freeman Rebellion. Paul prepares the Freeman to attack the Harkonnen's forces and, in effect, try and beat them to the punch. The Emperor responds to the rising conflict by sending an attacking force, killing Paul's son, and allowing Aaliyah to be captured. Aaliyah reveals that Paul is Maldib. I can never. Maldib. Maldib. Um, it's, I'm in a lot of pain here, folks. I'm doing my best. At the same time, Paul and Paul and the Freeman ride sandworms and assault the capital. Meanwhile, in the confusion, Aaliyah assassinates the Baron in the chaos and escapes. Paul and the Freemans easily destroy the Harkonnen atop their sandworms. Paul confronts the Emperor and threatens to destroy the spice supply unless the Emperor gives up his throne. The Emperor reluctantly cedes the throne to Paul and promises his daughter, Princess Irulian's hand in marriage. As Paul takes control of the Empire, he realizes that while he achieved his goal, he is no longer able to stop the Freemans' jihad, as their belief in him is far too powerful to restrain. End of book. That was like, that was like having a migraine. Like, honestly, <laughs> like, there were so many names in that. I, I feel drained. Is there anything you want to add to that? Because I feel like I covered the, the, the big beats. Um, yeah. It's a dense it's I had a some comments story. like halfway through and then you kept going and I forgot them. Oh, no. Okay. Because I feel like I could have paused, um, but man, I just don't want to like lose the momentum because some of those yeah. names make me just... Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Jessica, she bears Leto a son because he wants it, but she also senses the possibility that her son could be the Kwisatz Haderach. Which is weird, right? Because there's an implication that that she only senses that because when she drinks the waters of life, like it, there's a lot of like interesting circular prophecy in this story where like they go, oh well, this will happen because it was foretold. But in knowing the prophecy, they te- they try and enact it almost. It's kind of really interesting. And there's a lot. It's of- weird. It's like Paul is like, I could be this foretold one, so. Mm. So I will try to be, and then when he drinks the waters of life, they're like, dude, it's going to fucking kill you. And he's like, well, if I'm the fatal one, it's going to work out. And if I'm not, you know, I I can't protect the people around me. Like, it's an interesting sort of, um, like, juxtaposition of, like, destiny as being, like, this kind of universal, you know, force. Whereas in this story, it's not really that at all. It's like, destiny is created by people inhaling, like, consuming the spice I don't know. That's it's it's a weird like anti-destiny yeah. thing. I don't know what to yeah. do with it in my head. What so so like with the spice itself as an element in a story? What did you think of that as like the magic in the world? It's a weird one because it's not really magic in the way that most fantasy novels do magic. Mm. Where most fantasy novels, magic is <clears throat> pardon me accessible to pretty much anyone who has the power. But you have to kind of be born with the innate ability right. a lot of the but time. In this universe, it's like anyone can consume the spice because it's a resource, mm-hmm. um, which is, I guess, where some of the sci-fi elements come in. Well, that's where some, of, as well, some of the criticism that clearly Herbert's angling at other sci-fi is involved. I think too, because there's clearly a really self-conscious effort on his part to be very like egalitarian and be like. Any, like, if you think about it, like, because I was thinking about this when I was making my notes and doing my research, if you think about it, anyone could be Paul. Right. Like, he just... Well, he even says um, that Count Fenrig might have been the Kwisatz Haderach. Anyone could be. It's like the opposite of Harry Potter. Where, like, there were two people that could have been the chosen one. It was either Neville or Harry. Which, whereas this is, like, literally anyone could become the Messiah if they get access to the right material. And there's something really interesting about that. I mean, there's some stuff with, like, 
genetic material, and that's why Fenrig, I believe, was one of the possibles. Right, but, but it's like, ge- like generally speaking, if you did the Waters of Life, and you like, you, you could kind of orchestrate making a messiah kind yeah. of thing. Whereas it's not like Superman, where you have to be born special or whatever. And that's something that, for, yeah. like, I th- this novel like made me be like, I was like, this is such a weirdly interesting commentary on like messiahs and superheroes and stuff. So- um, so what did you think of the Bene Gesserit? In in what way? What did I think of them? You have to be more specific because well, I have a lot of thoughts. They have them. this like weird breeding program and they appear to be able to control whether or not they can see. It and reminded me of like whether Mad- or not it's a male or a female. It reminded me a lot of like, you know, in the most recent Mad Max Fury Robe where he has like those concubines who are like his breeding kind of yeah. women or whatever. Yeah. It was that, but like also what if they could just control what happens? I was like, that is a, such an interesting like eugenics like thought experiment to be like what and, if and you like could? all of these powerful men they know that they might not get the son that they want because these Bene Gesserit are they can just under decide. orders they can decide whether or not they want to have it's so, children it's so interesting but they, <laughs> but they still take them for like wives and stuff because <laughs> they're really sorry <laughs> Laura's dying folks because they're they're really um powerful in mm-hmm. that they have these powers of like intuition yeah, and they yeah, can yeah. control people sort of it's worth kind of having them on your side did you think because i as as someone reading this where i'm like I, I don't have the experience of the the kind of expectation of like having to bear children i thought it was interesting as a man reading this where i went oh there's some stuff in this that i that is like really creepy to me that yeah. kind of made my skin crawl there's a, there's a point where they're talking about i can't think of who's in the discussion but they're describing or discussing like jessica's kind of transgression and there's a line i i I can fucking copy it down um but it was something about like which is it close to the beginning uh, i think so um i'm not sure if you've ever find it but it was just really like they they kind of implied that even if she did it out of like emotional passion it was still like the wrong thing to do and i was like oh interesting they're trying to divorce yeah you know the act of 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 having sex and and copulating with like passion and and even like even legacy like it's almost like it's a um it's an equation to be solved, like having children in this world. It's really interesting. So I don't, I don't know if I liked it or not, or if I had like a strong opinion about it. But I thought that it was, I, like, one of those sci-fi ideas that I'm shocked hasn't been explored more. Like, it'd be a great yeah. thing to copy, you know, if you're going to write a sci-fi novel, just explore that concept. But yeah, I, I'm not sure how I feel about it. Um, looping back to the superhero thing, I want to run through some of my research and I'll see what you think about it. Sure. Um. So this this uh, story does something really interesting with like taking the typical hero tropes and doing something weird with them. Mm-hmm. So Paul is basically like the atypical hero from um, like every story arc ever. Like he's just the he is the hero's journey. Um, he has like this content life, and then events intervene out of his control because of some outside evil force. He flees into the new world, tests allies, friends, and finds mentors. And through testing his valor and worldview, he's able to defeat the evil leader and finally return home, better and more rounded as a person. And what's interesting is that Herbert himself was really conscious of, like, doing this. Mm -hmm. So if you read it through a certain lens, it's very critical of that stuff. Because what Herbert was aiming to do was caution against, like, producing these kind of heroes and messiahs in, in, like, a very similar way to, like, Starship Troopers or something like that, where... Uh, Herbert even said, and I quote, Dune was aimed at this whole idea of the infallible leader because my view of history says that mistakes made by a leader or in a leader's name are amplified by the numbers who follow without question, end quote. So really what he's saying is like, no matter how much you follow someone, if they if they make an error, the more people that believe them without question, the bigger that error becomes because there's no stoppage. There's no like, we hold you accountable to logic or to reason. It's like, well, we believe in you, so we're going to ignore it. Um which is interesting that a lot of these kind of fantasy stories keep yeah. bringing up these ideas of, like... Do you think that's the place that the jihad takes in the story? Yes, because the jihad is the natural consequence of him working within a system that praises him as the messiah. Yeah, like, I mean, <clears throat> all throughout the novel he's talking about trying to stop this, but even early on he believes that the only way to stop it is to become emperor and take his rightful place mm. because <laughs> he's like... Oh, at this point, the legend's already been started. If I die, it'll happen anyway. Which is kind of interesting, too, if you think about, like, you know, that, that idea of, oh, the only way, like, the, the only way to stop 
like this regime that exists is to like oppose it, but he doesn't really stand for anything. No. Like Paul doesn't have a. We've talked about this multiple times on the show a lot recently for some reason, but like, like Paul doesn't have like a. He doesn't have like a ideology to replace it with. He just goes, well, these dudes are bad because they killed my family. I got to step up and do something about it. Yeah, like, these are bad blokes. But when he kind of goes through that process, the only thing he has is the power of being the Messiah. But like. And, like, I guess some weird kind of allegory about nature and society and nature is better, but, like, at the same time, it's kind of flimsy. Um, But as we talked about before, like, in typical superhero stories, the specialness is, like, innate. Like, it's it's the egoist-driven kind of superhero thing. An interesting thing to note, um, I think, is that I believe Paul becomes the villain in the latter The following stories, yeah. yeah. Which makes sense. Like, I mean, we've seen that before with... um, well, not before, but after the fact, like in more contemporary fiction with Brandon Sanderson's um, The Final Empire. There's a lot of really interesting stuff in that where, yeah, it's definitely like Paul does all this stuff in, in the name of like... Even the stuff that he does in his book, some of it's a bit questionable. A lot of it is. and, and but, but at the same time, you go, well, I get where he's coming from. He's after revenge. But, you know, you can see how... Again, it's a really interesting exploration of ideology where you go, oh, I yeah. can see how... And, and you see this a lot with his father's sort of right-hand men and the way that they react to the things that he that that paul does Mm -hmm. and they go well his father would never have um (coughs) sorry my throat's really bad today well they go his father would never have thought of things before people Mm -hmm. um yeah and they sort of use the father as like the just right man but he never gets he doesn't get things done because he wants to play by the rules he's basically like the, the easiest way that i've explained this film to people is it's basically the first book of game of thrones where sean bean's character mm. um eddard stark is the guy who wants to get it done with the rules and does his best yeah and then failing that you then have the character who has to step in and bend the rules a bit mm. but the problem is as um t.s Eliot points out like if you if you battle with monsters you have to be caution caution that you yourself too doesn't become the monster exactly. and and I, like there's something fucking fascinating to me in that in that Paul as a character is not special. Like he's a bit, he's a tiny bit special, but he's not that special, right? He's not like your egoist, you know, superhero. He's not fucking Superman. He's not, you know, Don. You know, uh, he's he's not like Don Leone, where he's like born into like all this power and money and stuff. Like Paul's powers are earned through like painful, difficult trauma and sacrifice. And in reality, as we talked about before, anyone could become Paul. My problem with the story is it's so fucking egalitarian that I can't decide if. Herbert wants to agree with the Freeman and say, the Freeman's basic idea is right, that they should have these beliefs about, like, well, these aliens came in and they killed everyone, we should fight fight them or whatever. Or if we should agree with some of Paul's ideology where he's like, oh, yeah, you know, like, we have to fight them because they did this bad stuff and I'm going to use these Freemans and their knowledge and I'm going to kind of appropriate their, their belief system to benefit me and I'm going to become their messiah, but also gain this power in doing so that is external to their belief system. And it's interesting to me because, like, I don't know, the the idea of messiahs in Western society is so different than in, like, Eastern religion. Yeah. And and some of the some of the mirroring, especially some of the mirroring, like, uh, visual imagery and the coding they use for the Freeman, mm. um, the, especially the jihad and all those kinds of things, like... But at the same time, the drawing on the spaghetti Western mythologies and stuff to generate Paul's character clashing with these kind of Eastern ideologies and using, which seeing him kind of appropriate and use all of that, it's no wonder that he's the villain in the next story because he's yeah. like a bad dude, like he's doing bad stuff. Um, yeah. Because I'm only speaking from like a purely like rhetoric perspective, like this is stuff that I research a lot and I'm pretty kosherized with it because we've spent the last three weeks researching Western mythology versus like you know the the night stories um in, in yeah. the 1001 nights from um from way back this is being purely from rhetoric like is that something that you were conscious of when you were reading it like were you picking up on when paul was making those decisions were you going hang on but he's supposed to be you know this kind of um because he really takes the role of like the gunslinger style character in this where he's like the he's the protagonist you know he rides the sandworms at the end like it's fucking cool like yeah. when he's doing that stuff you know were you conscious of that kind of weird undertone throughout I mean, a little bit, not to a huge extent. Um, It's not really something that's on my radar a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Probably because you haven't spent four weeks deeply researching probably. it, probably. Yeah. yeah. I'm like well I'm well deep in the rabbit hole at this point, folks. <laughs> like I'm like I can't stop thinking about it. Um I'll pivot into gender in a bit, because we touched on it a bit early on, but it's kind of a complicated one to talk about. But um d- as I was kind of alluding to earlier, the nature stuff, like the the Freeman are like Native American slash Persian codes. Yeah. That I they kind of I don't know I kind of found that a bit weird I know it was in the sixties but I kind of, kind of reading it now I'm like oh there's a lot of stuff in there that I'm a bit I'm a bit weird yeah about. I mean it's just part of the times I guess you yeah, know sort of sort of they didn't have to the stories in that time that didn't do that but yeah. sometimes when like you know different Freeman I mean like even the fact that like different Freeman characters like they have such an emphasis on like like manhood and sexuality and stuff like that. Um, and then the women's roles, like the matriarchs, where it's like very like typical yeah. gender roles. But even then, from 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 the perspective of, so their before Moadib or Paul, their previous like leader mm-hmm. was Liet Kynes, the planetologist who also came from Offworld. Well, actually, no, his father came from Offworld, and mm-hmm. he was the offspring of basically Paul. He's basically Paul, like, like, like origin-wise. Except that, like, his, his father was off-world and he was the son of um, the previous planetologist, right. and, yeah. planetologist and a native woman. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> but basically the same thing. This foreign guy just, uh-huh. you know, coming in and leading them and giving them an ideology. Did you, like... Because that's kind of what... I mean, that's kind of what happens in a lot of, like, the the classic so non-revisionist western stories that's what tends to happen is you have this kind of gunslinger coming to the old west and you know they they find the the kind of super typical like quote-unquote indian tribes or whatever and they yeah. have like this strong ideology and they're able to lead them and kind of coerce them um but the planet like the the previous leader like had this message of like ecology like yeah. i don't know there's something really like charming about it, the yeah. kind of belief system he left behind when he was like protect the planet and the worms are great and you're like oh cool and then paul comes in and he uses all of that to his advantage yeah he appropriate appropriates a weird word because i don't mean culturally appropriates i mean literally in the verb sense like gathers all of that stuff and uses it for his purpose yeah like in in like in his fighting and his and he uses a lot of other stuff that's been laid so the the prophecies that the bene gesserit Mm -hmm. brought to the planet centuries before yeah i I've completely forgot. I forgot about that entirely. That's such and, an interesting. And Jessica uses them too, actually. That's a actually that's a really interesting point, because in this story, it's supposedly these characters have these precognitive abilities, and we see Paul several times prove it. Mm. He's clearly pre-science, as they describe it. Um, but at the same time, they take these prophecies that exist that are like written by the Freeman, and they they you like they kind of what's the word for it? Like they. Um, they, I don't know, abusers feels too harsh, but, like, they take them and they, they warp them into serving their own benefit. Mm. Like, in the same way that when, like, during the Crusades and stuff, they took, like, the Bible and they used that as a weapon. They kind of weaponized that religion. And same with, like, the KKK and p- people like that. Um, it's interesting that in the story, like, you see that happening in real time. Because it's, like, it's always inches, right? Yeah. It's never, like, one big swoop. It's, like, this tiny bit, then this tiny bit, and this tiny bit. And even, like, Jessica, like, she seems aware of that, which is, like, interesting yeah. that Aaliyah becomes the person that kills the Baron. Yeah. Like, I don't know, all of that stuff is fascinating, because in the Jesus myth, um, you know, Joseph, who is kind of, uh, he's perpetrated against by yeah. by the world, he births Jesus, or sorry, well, he, he, you know, him and Mary um, birth Jesus as a virgin birth, but yeah. at the same time, Joseph is then cast out of the story. And if you read the other Gospels, which I highly recommend, they're fucking great. Um, the the non-canon Gospels describe Paul as like he had a lot of other stuff going on, and this was like a small part of his life. Yeah. And that for me is what it felt like with Paul, where like he was kind of or, sorry, Paul's father, where he was kind of. You know, he happened to birth the Messiah, but, like, that wasn't the pivotal point in his life. There was a bunch of other stuff on Caladan where he amassed a bunch of power. Which, like, but... it's sick. Like, I love all of that backstory. <coughs> and, like, I love when he gets to um, Arrakis. Like, that that stuff, mm. like, that. that's, like, my that's my jam. That's right. my political, like, intrigue shit that I, I love. I know. That's why, you know? I, yeah. Yeah, the, I, the I love that. The beginning of this book is kind of great. I was, like, yeah. way into it. And then I really started to struggle because then I got a bit too, like, heady and namey yeah. and stuff. And I was like, Ugh. I need something to happen. Yeah. Um, and then it does, and it's great. But but I don't know. Th- there's something to that where 
even in the grand scheme of this like universe this messiah is just he's just kind of a guy like that yeah. becomes the the emperor and um spoilers for the other books but like you know the other stories explore the idea of like anyone could be the hero um to an extent and it's interesting that you know in yeah. a time now where like you you have this idea of well anyone can like do anything and all you have to do is believe in yourself and we keep hearing that fucking rhetoric and then at the same time you have people who are kind of running everything who who are saying yeah just believe in yourself and but also you know just follow everything i say blindly or whatever mm. it's kind of what paul does yeah he's like so- anyone could be me but at the same time do everything i say yeah don't do jihad it's bad but also do literally everything i tell you <laughs> one thing that's there that i wanted to mention mm. Was something so in the way that becoming the Messiah and a Reverend Mother affects Paul and Jessica respectively. And they book so at the beginning of the story, I find Jessica to be one of the most relatable characters. She's kind of the most human, um, and the most sort of she even just sounds normal, right? A lot of the time, yeah. And then, like, she becomes Reverend Mother, and all this stuff happens, and suddenly she's like. She's above Barely it all. human. She's above it all, and she talks weird, and she starts putting on this affectation. <laughs> yeah. Did you think? Did you think that was an affectation, or was that? Well, I think it was sort of partially to show because, sort of in becoming a reverend mother, she gain she gains access to all this knowledge, but it sort of affects her in that she loses some of that ability to relate to human beings, mm-hmm. and I feel that's part of what it is. But is do you, is that related to the act of being the Reverend Mother or just becoming someone in power? Like, because I feel like in a lot of these, like in, yeah. in a lot of the story, that's well, kind she of... had a decent amount of power before she became Reverend Mother when she was that's true the concubine of the Duke. Yeah, that's like top top sex person is a pretty good spot to be in. Like top top childbearer. Like yeah. in, especially in this society. Yeah, like that's like that's a good gig. You know, you got to work at that. Um, I don't know. That, I just I feel I feel like there's something there to be explored in the ideas it presents with like this kind of character, like especially because she starts off as so relatable. Same with Paul, and you watch them yeah. just become these, like, and, and you're you, like, well, they're winning, but also I, because you're on their side, and you're like, yeah, I see where they came from, but as they grow into these kind of mythic people you go they're ah. less people and more like I- ideas are yeah. like they're like yeah. affecting something and yeah I, I, I don't know there's there's something in that which which makes me like i don't know frank like herbert was onto something like he was he understood something about the way that the human brain processes yeah power and like how we deal with power and stuff like the bigger you get the less of a person you become and the more of like a like a two-dimensional facade you end up being. Mm. Whether it's two other people or to yourself, we'll never know because we ain't no political uh, powerhouse over here. <laughs> but, like, you, like, you know what I mean. Like, it's you see people who are, like, bosses of big companies and they just have no empathy or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. That's such an interesting, like, parallel, though, where she becomes less human as he kind of becomes the, the kind of messiah. Um, but, like, character-wise, like, what were you vibing with? Like, who was kind of... Well, like, were you on Paul's side the whole time? Like, how were you kind of feeling throughout the narrative? Yeah, I mean, pretty much was on his side because basically the Harkonnens get built up to be the worst. Actually, on that, the way that they make um, Baron Vladimir Harkonnen mm. the bad guy, aside from him just, like, killing Duke Leto... Just murdering folk, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Aside from that, and just being a power hungry asshole, um, he also has a fetish for young boys that he drugs and brings to his bedroom. I forgot about that until you mentioned it. I must have blanked that out of my memory. <laughs> um, yeah, don't do that, guy. Fuck! I completely forgot about that because that was in my first two hundred pages, yeah. and I was like, I was He's like, literally a pedo. Don't rape kids. That's our PSA from today. Yep. Pretty straightforward. Yep. Don't have sex with kids. Don't be raping kids. There you go. That's our PSA for today. Yep. I completely fucking forgot about that. Yeah, that's not a good thing a good person does. No. Though at the same time, Paul takes... Fucking... I'm going to... Is it Ghani? I can't remember her name. Chani? Chani. And that's kind of weirdly non-consensual as is well. Kind, well, kind, like... Like yes and no. Like it's it's. I remember it being very like it's it's not as bad as like in Game of Thrones. When it's, it's sort of he's sort of like 
Sihaya, I've seen it. We're going to be together. And she's like, okay. Yeah, he just tells her and she's like, I guess we fuck now. Like, there's no, which which I know it's a, t- like, I know what they're trying to do with it, but at the same time, I went, ooh, iffy. Yeah. Not great. Um, But that's, like, again, because that's what you do when, the mis- when, like, the guy who can see the future <laughs> says, hey, we'll be together. It's going to be great. You go, sure, I don't know any better. I'm young. Like, that's not, like, a messiah yeah. thing. That's just, that's just older people And then he marries another girl, and you're like, well, that's up. Actually, I found the place that, um that this novel ends. So, like, the very last sentence uh-huh. of this book. Um, so this is a quote from Jessica. She says, Think on it, Chani. That princess will have the name, yet she'll live as less than a concubine, never to know a moment of tenderness from the man to whom she's bound. While we, Chani, we who carry the name of concubine, history will call us wives. That is the final sentence of this book. Okay. And what do you think that... Kind of. I just think it's a very interesting place to end it. So it's not on Paul or on him, like his triumph or his father's memory or whatever. It's to do with his mother and his lover. It's about his, like, the the legacy of the people that were close to him. Yeah. And that, I mean, not to get, like, too Freudian about it, but I've got a quote from... uh, Marjorie Hurahan, which I'm going to read, and then I want to like kind of give you my kind of... Mm-hmm. I don't know, this is something I think about a lot, because I've been spending some time um, speaking with um, some people, a particular person who I'm going to do a podcast with, um, who's, a, who's a rap musician, um, and, and he mm. talks about this a lot. But this is a quote from uh, uh, Marjorie Hurahan, and then we'll kind of delve into that. Sure. So Marjorie says, and I quote, <clears throat> By far the most interesting character in the novel... Uh, sorry. Uh, Marjorie Hurahan, and I quote, Jessica is by far the most interesting character in the novel, and pointing out that while her son approaches a power which makes him almost an alien and a god to the reader, she remains for the most part relatively human. Throughout the novel, she struggles to maintain power in a male-dominated society, and manages at last to help her son at key moments in his realization of power. Crucially, though, she maintains her agency. Which I kind of love. Like, I love yeah. that she goes through the whole thing, but, like, she kind of still has the ability to pull the trigger and be like, no, don't do that. Or, no, I'm, I'm going to do this. Um, she has the power to control, like, how she's remembered. Yeah. She goes, no, no, no. Like, you know, sure, that's 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 the person he married or whatever. But this, this princess that was married for, for you know, tying alliances or whatever. But you'll be the person when they say the... The, the person the messiah loved yeah that's who that was yeah and there's something interesting about that idea of emotion versus like kind of logical hierarchy and i feel like that's that's kind of true in that that's what people like so people people love like a love story particularly when it's something that's <clears throat> that's like not maybe not like easy or like when it's something that it's like they it takes work they can't be married because fucking Romeo and Juliet reasons yeah two families can't do it they kill themselves in the end it's dumb but like it's not really romantic but like yeah people love it because it, it's got that turmoil yeah yeah and I feel like that's definitely kind of what what's what was the point you're gonna make about that because I can see the connection but I would probably connect it differently than you might to that kind yeah, of yeah well, from from like a historian perspective you would be more interested in that that concubine who maybe bore his children and um, gained had his affection, mm-hmm. then you would the random princess that he married just for political gain. Yeah, because it was like part of his job, right? You know, um, who's the um, who's the chick in France, the famous mistress, um, Marie Antoinette? Uh, no, no. Who the fuck was Marie Antoinette? I mean, um, just... She was Queen of France, and she was beheaded. Um, it's not that one. It's someone else. <laughs> um, hang on. Um, hold I can on. Google I know this. this. She was in a spaceship in Doctor Who. Renette um, Poisson. Renette Poisson. What was her name, though? Was um, the... Hang on, I'm Googling it. Um, if my internet is fast enough, I might be able to beat you. <laughs> Madame de Pompadour. Ah, <laughs> oh, goddammit. Madame de Pompadour. Yes. Yeah, no, I, I remember yes, that. Yes, but exactly. People don't fucking remember the queen. They remember the... Yeah, but exact. That's such the a... The mistress, yeah. The mistress, because she was the person that he loved, and she she had his heart. Yeah. And and it's fucking wild to me that you can write, like, again, this was in the 60s, and I understand that, like, 
Different time of play. Also, by the way, just for the record, if you Google Madame de Pompadour, ninety percent of the pictures are from Doctor Who. Of course they are. Yeah, like this is Doctor Who because it's also a great episode. Um, oh yeah, it is. It's one of my favorite. Girl in the fireplace. Um, uh, shout outs Russell T Davies for, <laughs> for stopping Stephen Moffat from making that bad. Um, <laughs> oh my god. Drive by. Um, but yeah, so like I, I think. When thinking about this story, particularly in a modern context, it's important to, like, I guess, interrogate a lot of those gender stereotypes because, like, they didn't... Herbert was more interested in how people view gender stereotypes than he was about interrogating them themselves. Yeah. So he was saying, well, how do women view themselves? Rather than saying, well, how does everyone treat women? Which I don't... Like it's it's a fine thing to do. It was the sixties. I think it's fine to go. Hey, well, what what were the women thinking at this point? What did Madame de Pompadour think when you know at this point in her life when when they kind of got all everything they wanted, and you know she was mistress of the king, and her best mate was like, hey, like don't like she's and you know and Madame de Pompadour expresses her kind of insecurity, and her best mate goes, no, like they're not gonna fucking remember the other person. They're gonna remember you because like because of these reasons, and that's mm. great, and I like that. Um, but ending the story on that. Yeah. What What's kind of your thoughts on that? Because I don't know. I, I don't I'm playing really with know. the lens cap. I apologize <laughs> for audio listeners. I don't know what to do with that in my yeah, head. Yeah, me neither. It's a weird place to end it, especially when I don't feel that that's been the focus of the rest of it. But it's kind of where Herbert chose to have the final resting point of this novel. I wonder if it's because the whole story is so <laughs> is so focused in bringing about. Paul's inauguration as the Messiah. Yeah. Um, that potentially, when he was writing this, I don't. I'm not sure that Herbert had a sequel in mind. Maybe mm. I've no. I've done. I haven't done research on like. I know there's three sequels, but I haven't. Or two rather. I haven't done like actual research on whether he intended to write more. But it vibes to me as if when they were going through the edit, the editing process, his editor said, "Well, what's the story about?" And he went. I don't know, Paul, like, as being a siren, he went, no, 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 like, maybe, actually, it's about, it's about the people that have to live with the person who becomes the leader. Like, it's about the the aftermath of someone who becomes so powerful and so important that everyone around them has to kind of recoil yeah. and deal with it, and they're, they're kind of left in the wash of the fallout of those decisions. And even, even Paul remarks on this to a certain extent, where um, Stilgar... He starts off as a strong, like, leader and a friend to Paul. And he ends the novel as just kind of one of Paul's lackeys. And Paul remarks upon this. And he thinks of it as a shame. I I feel the same way about um, uh, Paul's dad and Idaho, the swordsman. Oh, yeah. Because um, I thought that was a really interesting parallel as I was reading through and I got to that point in the novel where it was like, oh, like, a lot of his best friends who were his best advisors are just kind of errand boys now. Yeah. When Paul becomes the Messiah. In this story, you expect Paul to have, like, an offsider, like, a guy who's, like, yeah. that will do the dirty work. But he doesn't, he, he kind of isn't one. Like, I was I was running through a list, you know, in my head through the characters when I was writing this research. And I was like, he doesn't have, like, a like a second dude, like a, like a B-man that he can roll in who's got the pistol. Or he's, he doesn't have an Idaho. Yeah. And it turns out the result of not having an Idaho to do your dirty work is that you have to take on the responsibility of everything yourself. And if you're not careful, that makes you into the kind of the messiah figure. Like, if you don't have people around you who can help you out and you take everything on yourself, like, for better or for worse, you're either going to really succeed and become something that you can't recognize or you kind of fail and you burn out and you kind of get killed by the other house. Like, I don't know, there's something really interesting about mm. about those kind of parallels. And I'm not sure what I think about it, but it was something that I couldn't stop, like, overanalyzing when I was first reading it. He didn't fucking, like, he didn't, you know... Let, let, you know, rest back on his laurels and go. Well, we need to give Paul an equivalent of Idaho, and like, the, like he didn't like go through the list of characters and give him like the equivalents. Yeah. He went, well, what if he didn't have those and he had these other people instead, and he had to kind of manipulate these natives into doing his bidding, whether maliciously or or not. Yeah, you know that was what he did. Um, yeah, I just it's again like I keep trying to think of a way to talk about the story, except saying that it's so complicated and weird. <laughs> like I, I, I just that. Because it is, and there's yeah. no... It's not like modern fiction. It's like it, one of those things you just kind of have to read if you want to know what it's about. Because there's so much yeah. that happens. And even just a summary doesn't really do all the themes and the intrigues and all and the, the stuff. little bits. And yeah. The kinda, it's, yeah, it's it's so um, 
micro the way the story works well like yeah. it's very like moment to moment which is so hard to do but i i yeah again like i found it so hard to read but when i was listening to it like i kind of started to feel the rhythm and it's only just because it's old like because of the way i write if you're if you read any of my Fair stuff enough. like i'm very gaiman gaiman-y in my writing <laughs> where like i kind of gaiman plus rothfuss where it's yeah. all very stripped back whereas i probably found it a lot easier because i do enjoy reading classics and plus you also like descriptions so like you yeah. you enjoy it a big a big portion of the reading that I do for fun is historical romance so you know yeah <laughs> same sort of boat but you know different genre but, but like not too different if you think about it because <clears throat> again like every sci-fi novel and i'll say it again and every sci-fi novel gets mad at me but every sci-fi novel is basically a very complicated romance because <laughs> they all are <laughs> fuck you star wars <laughs> fuck you ryan johnson i got your fucking number um yeah like that because that again is something that although there's a quote that I love, and I don't know who said it, and mm. I can't quote them, but it's somewhat famous, and I can't remember. But, like, um, it might have been Watsky, actually. I can't remember. But it's, um, you know, if we're all being honest with ourselves, people always say, like, oh, well, a love story is universal. But not everyone experiences love. Yeah. The most universal stories are ones about death, because everybody dies. Yeah. That, to me, is, like, something that this story really hits on the head well, is, like, one of the things that we all experience in our life is being not the person in charge. And... Everything that, you know, one thing that everyone experiences is seeing people in power, treat that power in a way that is not healthy and is irresponsible. But if you have enough empathy, you can articulate and isolate where that power came from and where that kind of lack of empathy came from. And I think the trick in in in, in moving your society forward is in telling stories like this, because what it does is when you look at the state of the world now, and apparently this is the direction we're going in general, if you look at the state of the world now and you can read a story like this and understand how Paul became person here's at the end of the story yeah then you can look at some of the people that are, that are leading the thought and the storytelling and the and the politics of our world and you can go i get how they got there and, and you can empathize with them and not sympathize but you can empathize and go okay well the solution is not to to fight against them and other them the solution is to go well how do we prevent this in the future and that's what the other stories in this in this um, trilogy do mm. but it's fascinating to me that in the same way that Starship Troopers presents, you know, this um, this perfect, like, kind of ideology where you buy in and everyone is, like, really, like, sexy and attractive and, like, the totalitarianism is, like, really cool and you want to fight the aliens because they're evil. And in the same way, this story gives you, like, the kind of... The, it's like the extreme Star Wars where, like, the rebels are so right all the time and the Empire are, are like, the super-duper baddies. Mm. And you follow Luke because he's the messiah. You follow Paul because he's the guy. And, and at the end of the day, like... He becomes the thing, the very thing you were fighting against. And yeah. that is like, again, such like a beautiful message for a book that came out in 62, which was like just post or, or 65, which was just post, um, you know, uh, post World War Two, getting to the Cold War. Like it's a time in the world where people are really suspicious of leaders and yeah. and it's, it's, it's Reagan, it's Watergate, all those things. And I don't know. I, I, it's, That's an it's, interesting way to look at it from a historical perspective, actually. It's it's more relevant now than it's ever been, if we're being honest, because that that stuff yeah. is happening again, like all that cobble stuff. That yeah, it's great. The world's going really well. Like, but it is, <sighs> like you know, they're we they, they have a um a TV movie star who's uh who's in charge of a big country again. Like it's it's all cyclical, and and mm. and stories like this are more relevant than ever. And I just appreciate that Herbert <laughs> was very critical of all of those ideas that were being yeah. peddled, and and even though there's some really weird racial coding and like some religious stuff that I disagree with, um. I struggled to read this book, but I fucking love what it was trying to do. Yeah. However, next month, we're doing The Hogfather. Oh, cool. Because people voted for it. Because uh, I put it twice on the list. You did? <laughs> I did. Oh, I, my God. I really wanted to cover this book. Um, I love this novel. So, in case you didn't know. It's by Terry Pratchett. I am a big fan of Terry Pratchett. Also, I've read. I think every one of his books. I read. Two um, of I started in high school and I made a list and I ticked them off as I read them. Laura's the ultimate nerd. I'm pretty bad, but she's worse. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. I'm fucking excited. I've 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 seen the film. Ah, oh, the film is great too. And the film is delightful, but oh. I'm so excited to read the book. And honestly, like, it's gonna be Christmas. If you want a good Christmas movie, like, watch the. It's like a two part TV series, The Hogfather. It's awesome. Yeah, You're watch. I'm gonna hang on just a sec. I gotta find out who that is. Um, because there is a <laughs> bunch of famous actors in it. Yeah, I absolutely love the character of Susan. She's awesome. Mm -hmm. She's the granddaughter of death. 
She's kind of just kicking it, man. She's dope. Um, let me see. First broadcast on Sky One and Sky One HD. Um, who were the actors? It was Michelle Dockery, who is a phenomenal actor. She is amazing. I um, love her. The whole story is great. I highly recommend reading the book. Yeah. Um, we're going to be covering that next month. I, yeah. I look, listen. Dune made me want to have a migraine. <laughs> Hogfather makes me excited because I fucking love uh, Terry Pratchett. I'll just be smiling all week. I've never read it. <gasps> have you not? It's awesome. Everything. I've, I actually I, don't, I find pretty I much everything that Pratchett writes is delightful in that <clears throat> he gives like this commentary on on life and, and human society, but he does it in such a way that, you know what, he makes a bit of a comment. You're like, oh, that's kind of a clever comment. But then, like the next paragraph, it's like his like a uh, like he he comments on it in a way that's also funny. Yeah, well, he's he's a very humorous writer, and if yeah. I'm being honest, I haven't read a whole book of his. I've read like some of short stories, but I've never oh read God. Terry Pratchett, dude. Well, because he was one of the writers that they were like, "Don't read if you're going to be a writer," because like it ruins. It's like it's like if you're a guitarist and you listen to like James Dean. Yeah. Just fu- all you can do is play James Dean style songs for eight years. Um, <laughs> but I have a, I have a voice and writing style now, so I should be fine. Um, yes. It's part of the show where we wrap up and plug shit. Yeah. Um, look, we if you want to... probably save the Terry Pratchett for next month. Yeah, I was going to say, we can fucking talk about Terry Pratchett for hours. <laughs> oh, um, but yeah, if, if you want to um, support us and all those good things, uh, we're DCMWorks everywhere, patreon.com slash DCMWorks to support us. Um, we've got, uh, not next week, but the week after, we have our big... Sorry, oh, actually, it is next week. Uh, we have our big uh, end-of-year finale coming up, our best of 2018. Mm-hmm. You still haven't told me what the categories are. The categories are the same as last year. I just haven't looked up my documents. And we <laughs> have a bunch of very special guests across the DCM Works universe. Woo! We we've have a universe now? We do. It's a law situation. We've got Aaron, <laughs> we've got Scott, we've got Laura, we've got Ben, maybe even Adley will be joining us. It's going to be a hoot and a holler. Ooh, from across the pond. From across the pond on the Skype. And we are going to hear about everyone's favorite things from the year that has been. If you want to send us anything and tell us your favorites, follow us on Twitter and tweet at us, DCM underscore works. And always feel free to yell at us if you think we're wrong. Because we'll be talking about best films, best TV shows, best podcasts, best music albums. There's a whole bunch of categories. I'll post them on Twitter at some point in the next few weeks when we finalize them. Very excited about it. Then we're going to get drunk and play Smash Brothers, which we might Woo! record. We'll see how it goes. Um, yes, yeah, so you can let us know anything you want to uh, anything you want to recommend as a best of category or best of thing. Tweet at us, DCM underscore works. Or if you just want to support what we do, patreon.com slash DCM works. It really does help us. But honestly... The best way to help us is to tell one friend who you think might enjoy this. Because genuinely, if two people really enjoy this and you tell a third person, that's all we're asking for. Because we make it because we think that it's something that's worth consuming. We think it's something that's worth time and we think it's valuable. And it's not about getting like, you know, 10, 100,000 million subscribers, but, you know, sometimes good art's enough. So tell one guy, tell your nan. She's not busy. (laughs) She's retired. Tell your grandmother. She's also retired. She she might enjoy us talking about June for what an hour? I didn't even say any super rude words this time. Just fuck a lot. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's normally the part in the podcast mm. where I make a joke about the c word, but I'm not going to do it this time because what if your nan listens? <laughs> um, but yeah, otherwise, if you want to 